to the first episode of the Taco Talks for 2022. We, we start the year with a guest who is a pioneer uh, in blockchain Philippines. Kathy Casas, head of Blockchain Center of Excellence and uh, FVP at Union Bank of Philippines. Kathy's been the last 20 years at the forefront of innovation at Union Bank and covering areas of market risk, treasury, fixed income derivatives trading, and, and blockchain. And uh, Union Bank, or UBP, has recently made news announcing further commitment to giving Filipinos secure and uh, informed access to crypto and digital assets. And we're thrilled to learn more today about that vision and, and the vision behind the move. So, Kathy, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Mataco Talks. Yeah, likewise, Seema, it's a pleasure to be here as well, um, and an honor to be your first episode for the year. <laughs> <laughs> it's an auspicious start. But, I mean, thanks for joining. You know, we often hear the criticism of, of crypto that there's, there's the use case is just speculative. But I think uh, you know, I think you guys put paid to that fact that you actually have specific use cases. Three years ago, you launched uh, the Philippines' first stablecoin, PHX. You know, what what was behind this? What is it, and what was behind it? And uh, it'd be great to hear more about it. Yeah, sure. Um, the idea of PHX actually stemmed from two things. Um, so first of all, it was our desire to, you know, not just take heed, but to respond to the call of pushing for financial inclusion. So the fact that not everyone has access to financial products or the right financial products for their needs, um, it has always been one of the pressing issues here in the Philippines um, and probably in most of the developing markets. Um, so tackling it head on makes a lot of sense for us. Um, given that it has a big potential to, you know, enact change that leads to a more sustainable economy and society. Um, and of course, which ultimately benefits every Filipino, every business, every bank at the end of the day. So we knew that in a country like the Philippines, um, with, you know, more than 7,100 islands, it's a bit difficult and not to mention, of course, costly for these banks, um, for like us to reach everyone in each of these islands. Um, and that I think probably everyone knows this by now, that digital is really key to this. Um, but, you know, the only way for it to really work in a way that is sustainable is to be digital from end to end. So it, it's front to back. It has to be fully automated. It has to be seamless. Um, and most importantly, which I guess a lot of the, you know, digital um, projects have, have failed to, um, to do is that it should be consummated real time. So it means the transaction is its final and cannot be disputed. So and that's end to end. So here, blockchain technology has been like a key enabler, given that you know it, it supports this particular use case. So we've seen how you know bitcoins enabled, of course, by blockchain technology can be transferred to you know anyone and anywhere in the world, and, and how it gets confirmed in just ten minutes. So we took this aspect as inspiration. When the bank designed one of its first projects, um, which the bank has done in partnership with Consensus, so which we call Eye to Eye and which stands for island to island, institution to institution, or individual to individual. So think of it as a blockchain-based retail payment solution that allowed us to connect more than 100 rural community banks across the Philippines with each other and you know, connecting them into the mainstream financial network using um, of course, blockchain technology at its core. So we've enabled these small rural banks um, who already know and understand the community instead of us putting like branches there and who bring a more personal homegrown touch um, that better service their market's needs, um, but who are, um, you know, themselves underserved. So we've given them the ability to perform more services at a faster speed and at a lower price point to serve customers that you know we can't logistically reach through this platform. Now, from this project, we saw a lot of potential um, in terms of having a more interoperable blockchain-based currency that could be used even outside of eye-to-eye. -eye. Um, so the thinking was that if we were able to drive value 
for our rural bank community and their customers? You know, how much more can we help the community if we had the means to expand this reach um, beyond these rural banks? So PHX was born. Um, and of course, second was, you know, launching our own stablecoin has been really part of our digital transformation strategy or what we used to call our digitized or perish mission. So we've um, embarked on a digital transformation journey years ago ahead of our peers, um, fully embracing what the word digital represents. So for us, as I've mentioned earlier, it was embracing it to our core. It's front to back, from tech to people. So while we, you know, take pride in all of our digital products that are enabled by the current infrastructure, we also leapt into new technology. So, and, and you know, we continue to do this. We continue to immerse ourselves and actively take part in designing and building the infrastructure of the future, where we see, of course, blockchain as now being more foundational. So PHX, along with their other blockchain projects, is part of that strategy, essentially, to prepare for the future of finance. You know, where one possible state for us is one that is um, token-based, and, and where digital identities, you know, and stable coins are said to be um, the main building blocks of. Fascinating. I mean, clearly solving a real, real world problem. I mean, how, how has been the reaction of the customers and what's been the response of, let's say, uh, competitors in the market? Uh, yeah, so when we launched this product as a pilot execution, it was actually very experimental. So, you know, our target market wasn't our existing customers, actually, but it was mostly mm -hmm. You know the unbanked of course so number one it was the unbanked and second it it was the customers of the future so we put a lot of um you know passion into it because we were guided by the purpose of actually what we're trying to do it, it for us it helps the country and at the same time it helps us future proof our bank and then our employees ourselves basically so as expected for majority of our customers it was something new to them um they were mostly curious about what it is and what it's for um, however, you know, it came out as a surprise, though, that there were quite a handful who actually already knew it, um, how it's supposed to work, and, and were actually asking how they can purchase them. Um, so, which we never would have known if we didn't launch this, right? So, and it, it only goes to show that probably the world that we're preparing for um, seems to be getting closer or even probably already here. Um, in terms of our competitors, you know, because ever since we've, I don't think I have much to say about them because ever since we've started our digital transformation journey, you know, we started to focus more on our customers and our mission. And we learned that at some point, you know, everyone will be your partner instead of a competitor because, you know, with all the challenges um, that we're facing right now and it's all the changes, you'll realize that these are challenges that, you know, not one institution can handle. So not one institution can solve. An inspired approach, and I think very appropriate in this new sort of peer-to-peer um, -peer mm -hmm. world. Um, yeah, I also understand you were very uh, instrumental in Union Bank's launch of, a, of the Bitcoin ATM. What, how, what's been the impact of that so far? So I've always been very proud of this project. Well, not only because I was the one that you know led that project, but really because of the things that mm -hmm. um, it has done for for the bank, um, as well as you know, for the customers and ourselves, our employees. So during that time, we found out that you know our customers are already starting to dabble in cryptocurrency bitcoins. I guess much earlier than most of us in the bank, um, but a lot of them are not really you know fully aware mm -hmm. of what it is how it works, what the risks are. And at the same time, we noticed that bank employees then weren't also prepared to address customers' queries about the topic. You know, but we knew that some of our customers are now transacting basic financial services in crypto exchanges. 
um, that offer cryptocurrency initially. So with the switch, you know, starting to happen because of their curiosity to transact in crypto. So we also realized that, you know, if, if and when the world turned upside down and, and everyone, you know, wanted to just do crypto, um, the bank doesn't have the skills even or the process in place to operate these kinds of services for our customers or let alone, you know, process um, virtual currency related transactions. So the main objective really of, the, of that project was not, it did not include potential revenues, to be honest, um, but really it, it was for the bank to learn and hedge against potential disruption. So I always liken it to, you know, buying a call option to the future. Um, so it, it was surprising though that, you know, we were able to generate some revenues. Um, so the numbers are relatively small, of course, relative to the bank's entire bank's income. So it, it's dwarfed <laughs> by the bank's income. But this product, you know, was self-sustaining in its own way. Um, but more significant to the bank was the upskilling and retooling um, that happened in the bank as a result of it. So from branch to operations, to accounting, legal, tax, risk, etc. because we worked in squads then. So it became an opportunity for everyone um, to learn new things and be better equipped with the skills of the future. Um, and this, of course, you know, paved the way for quicker implementation of other relevant digital projects, such as recently, what I've mentioned earlier, the stablecoin, PHX, um, and other blockchain-based payment projects. So we have all the support that we needed already in the bank to be able to launch that faster. Um, so that, you know, key learnings and, and developments done for Bitbox contributed to the development and quicker implementation of these projects. Um, from a commercial angle and the business angle, so I'm taking um, time here because this is one of my That's favorite fun. projects. <laughs> so we also Perfect, see please. <laughs> increased ferries and interests coming, you know, not just from the retail side, but corporations, um, foreign banks, fintechs, and tech companies who suddenly want to collaborate and do business with the bank. So mentioning that, you know, UBP is known to be a leader in digital, quoting that, you know, you even have your own Bitcoin ETM in the initial conversations. So, you know, these their queries are not really for crypto, but standard banking products to support their own digital journey. So we became part of their own digital journey as well, you know, by getting invitations for us to be key speakers in, in their learning programs, which they arrange also for their employees. So, you know, we've got to we've gotten to know our customers better in the process and, and this cemented our bond with them and our lead in the financial uh, market industry in terms of our digital agenda. So we feel that, you know, this one small Bitcoin ATM is um, true innovation for the banking industry. And, you know, as, as someone running that project, it really involved breaking barriers creating tension to, to, to you know, deliver something that changes the game, that results to eventually meaningful progress. So it, it required a change in, the, in our operating system and adopting a new mindset. So creating an environment of now, why not instead of why, which is very different like years back. So one that is you know, more open um, to learning new skills. And then clearly this is not a traditional product, you know, definitely one that is too controversial, especially for a bank and a regulated institution. Um, but you know, we braved doing it because we believed in, in the purpose of the project. So the typical use case then are people who send low value cash funds to their relatives abroad, um, who have just recently moved and don't have a bank account, for example, there yet, and needed initial support for initial living expenses from their loved ones here or to convert, you know, cash, little small cash remittances received abroad from tuition payment. So um, we've been called a crypto-friendly bank um, because of it. Um, but the truth is, you know, the, the focus then of the bank wasn't actually crypto. It, it was really our customers. So, you know, these use cases have always been about serving people, improving lives, and, and both for our customers as well as our employees. 
Well, that's interesting. I mean, you've done a great job of putting this customer-centric sort of point of view is, is pretty powerful. I mean, interesting way you described it, the PHS, PHX rather, was really about solving your 7,100 islands and you can't, you know, how do you get to a branch or how do you support that many branches? You've solved a, a particular problem with Unbank there. We also see Philippines broadly basically as one of the leaders in terms of adoption of, of cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, what's driving that adoption in the in the retail space and, uh, you know, in cryptocurrency specifically and, you know, and, uh, you know, other digital assets? Yeah, so the Philippines' first venture into Bitcoin were primarily to explore it as a transfer of value. So this makes like perfect sense when one considers that one of the pillars of our economy really are, you know, the our Filipino um brothers, you know, working abroad as overseas workers and Filipinos working for foreign companies in the business uh, process outsourcing industry. So remittances um, still comprise an enormous amount of our annual economic flow. And this is despite the pandemic, we've seen that. Um, so but this comes with, you know, hefty fees, the usual. Um, so Bitcoin has held an Im immediate appeal for um, Filipinos because of its ability to provide an alternative way of remitting money. So these aspects, you know, allowed Filipino developers and entrepreneurs to envision a future where they could offer a service that greatly cuts down on the costs of these payments um, by incorporating that into a remit their remittance process. So hence, I think the proliferation also of crypto exchanges. Um, another important use case is that it provided um, Filipinos with a way to experience investing, you know, without having to shell out a large amount because of its, you know, innate property. Um, or ability of crypto to be offered in fractional units. Mm -hmm. So they had that experience of being able to invest and see what happens to your money after. So the pandemic has also been a game changer. So I might be stating the obvious here for everyone, but you know, this has accelerated the use of cryptocurrency. Um, the introduction of, for example, play to earn um, has been yeah. recently become one of the biggest stories of adoption of blockchain technology here in the Philippines. And institutions are starting to see this as well. Um, from their own customers and then how they are becoming now more crypto literate or more crypto curious as they know that at some point, you know, similar to how the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Grabs have changed customer expectations. These The same customers will now start to demand the same seamlessness, you know, same um, frictionless kind of service provided by the cryptocurrency industry across different products. Um, so at the same time, they would need help um, to help their customers navigate this and enjoy this in a much safer way. And, and hence, this now brings back renewed interest of institutions and the momentum to explore digital assets. So that institutional version of cryptocurrency. So that's how we see it now. Yeah. Interesting. And how do you think, you know, given the range of different types of uh, investments there are now in crypto, as you mentioned, that you go from layer ones all the way to play to earn, and just about any use case in between now, how do you think, Kind of investment this this new investment kind of class uh, of clients how how will their investment portfolios evolve will they still look at traditional assets you know, you know equities bonds or is this a, a future we're looking at that everything's a crypto asset yeah so i still believe um that even if consumer behavior continues to evolve from here i think portfolio theory will still hold so it, it's always going to be you know a function of risk return um, for me, relative to your overall portfolio. So if we're talking about crypto assets, um, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Ether, uh, my view is that, you know, as long as, so long as the volatility remains at the higher end of the spectrum, I guess portfolio allocation would still be relatively small. Um, however, unlike before, I have noticed that, you know, I think it will be now become more a staple in everyone's investment portfolio. 
So it could be just a small amount, but it's always going to be there as it provides significant diversification benefits. Um, so now what's interesting, though, is in the area of digital assets, so which could cover, you know, not just cryptocurrency, but blockchain-based traditional bonds and equities um, using blockchain technology. So this is an entirely different story because it could, could be bigger um, depending on how, you know, technology and the capital market space would evolve. I mean, given all the exciting innovation you've done here, I have to ask about, you know, you have the blockchain center of excellence in UPP. And we'd love to hear more about what that is, how it's grown over time and, you know, what, what your plans are going forward. Okay, so the bank's digital transformation um, and journey was actually um, less about tech, but more about people. So part of the plan was to provide an opportunity for people inside the bank to learn. Um, and one of the key pillars um, we said our people should learn was, was blockchain. So the Blockchain Center of Excellence, um, this was a dedicated unit in the bank, um, was, was formed to further research, blockchain research and experimentation, and you know to drive and promote blockchain um, use cases across the bank. So we've initially, during the first years, you know, we've conducted blockchain 101s, um, giving people an opportunity not just to learn, but to also ask questions. Um, that included also launching game-changing POCs and pilots um, across multiple use cases. Um, but going back to mindset, you know, the culture of openness and, and collaboration when learning about blockchain was, was crucial in pushing the teams to look beyond what blockchain is on the surface. So for a year since its establishment, you know, um, the Blockchain Center of Excellence now sits under a group called Blockchain and API Business Group. So it, it's a business group now as the bank slowly transitions from pilots and POCs to commercialization. So now the focus has shifted towards a more sustainable business model um, to be able to deliver what we've learned, um, these financial solutions that you know cater to new um, customer needs and the demand for new experiences and products. How will that fit into the bank's kind of broader innovation strategy? So, well, as mentioned earlier, it was our hedge to the yeah. future. Yeah, it was right. a you know natural, evolution in our digital transformation journey that essentially allowed us to build not just capabilities um, but you know the skills of the future so it, it completes our digital to the core promise and you know, as, as i've mentioned innovating end from end and we're so, solely actually seeing the benefit of doing this early as we saw that it you know gave a, a number gave birth to a number of groundbreaking innovations um, essentially, that allowed us to bring more value to our customers and, and further our tech of Filipinas advocacy. So when I look at basically the pace of innovation you guys are driving in this space, particularly crypto and digital assets, um, it's obviously light speed compared to many other jurisdictions or banks in many other jurisdictions. How, how what's the reaction and the support you get from the regulators in Philippines? Yeah, so... Um, as you've mentioned, your regulations play a vital role in, in the life cycle of, of any new or emerging technology. So I can say that our regulators really value innovation and, and its role in financial inclusion. So I believe that our regulatory framework, as well as, I guess, as with all the other countries, it's, it's still at an early stage and it's, it's still evolving as technology and our customers evolve. And, and, but I admire, I guess, the resolve of our regulators here in terms of its role in promoting you know, financial inclusion and, and pushing for the sustainable development goals agenda. It's not easy to regulate the crypto industry, for example, um, because of its innate characteristics. And it's totally different from how we have set up the financial system, basically. Um, and, but you see the effort and their openness to support innovation um, in this space, especially for use cases that advance um, inclusive prosperity and the growth of the economy. Um, of course, provided that, you know, the cons um, 
that the consumer's right to protection and it remains safeguarded. So for the BSP or Central Bank, for example, while they have policies that allow for this, um, they also provide warning advisories on cryptocurrency to ensure that consumers are aware of the risks that come with it. So they have stringent and they have also very stringent rules for and policies for those that want to offer this service. Let me take a cover a slightly different angle now. Maybe talk about the technology specifically. I mean, given all these implementations you've done, what have been what are the technical considerations and challenges when it comes to you know, operating digital assets? What, what especially you know, given we just said. You operate in a highly regulated environment with all the consumer protections, et cetera. Yeah, of course, um, here the biggest consideration is whether you even have, you know, the skills to evaluate or operate this new technology in the first place. Mm. Um, and, you know, the framework at which this technology can be deployed. Um, and it's not limited to what your internal policies, um, um, but of course, the regulations, regulatory environment that you can operate it um, in. Um, and in terms of the biggest challenge, I guess it's that, you know, everything is not just new to you, but that it's sometimes also contradicting, as mentioned earlier, to how things had been established and, and run for decades. So, for example, would be like for a bank um, to offer their clients the ability to do self-custody, for example, of their investments already right, contradicts to our long-standing assumption that customers go to the banks or brokers um, because the bank brokers, they act as their custodian typically, and that no one would ever think of doing it themselves in the first place, but that's not the story now, right? So for as long as we maintain the same assumptions, um, it will be very difficult to think about technological considerations and, you know, operations of digital assets, because the longer you hold to these assumptions, the slower you learn, and the less open you become to, to, to you know, learning it. So usually the more difficult part is actually really getting to that point of whether or not, of deciding whether or not you should operate um, digital assets in the first place. So, But once you're past that, it becomes easier because if the resolve is there, you will realize that, you know, you have very talented people in the organization who just happen to learn fast and adapt fast across functions and that you are now also more open to working with partners for essentially capabilities that you don't have. Well, on that point, I was going to ask actually the partner question. I mean, how do you decide, how do you prioritize building things internally versus partnering in the market? And what are the key, key aspects of choosing partners? Yeah, so so it's it's um case to case for us. So essentially, crypto tech evaluation in in the bank. Um, it, it's similar to how we evaluate tech in general or partners in general. So it goes through an independent and rigorous process that includes evaluating whether to build in house, to buy or partner, or, or to do a combination of all three. Because sometimes it's possible, or depending on how complex it is. So here, in house solutions are compared to. Um, external solutions and evaluated in terms of a set of criteria that covers, um, I guess, commercial, time to market, um, risks, um, reputation in the industry, among others. Uh, I don't normally kind of have a sales plug, but I have to ask, you know, given that, uh, you know, UBP recently announced a partnership with Mataco and IBM uh, around our platform, how does that fit into your strategy? Um, well, essentially, so, um, we, Metaco, both Metaco and IBM are, are no strong interested names in the industry. You know, this is really crucial for our strategy of building the bank's capabilities in, in preparation for the future of banking. Um, of course, it's, you know, we're in the business of trust. And of course, it's very important that we trust the partners that we work with. So institutional grade vetted by partners are, of course, at the top of the list. 
Um, and it, it typically, of course, won't want um, long-standing relationships. And we've had one, of course, with IBM. And, and of course, we're looking to have one with Metaco as well. Excellent. And what are, what are the use cases you're looking there for? So crypto custody and trading, I understand this is kind of a starting point. Well, I, I guess here my only answer would be whatever our customers need. So, <laughs> you know, both present and the future, because as we have learned, especially after the pandemic, anything is possible. You know, nothing is fixed. One day it could be tokenization. Um, the next day it could be something else. So everything could change. Hence our, you know, continued focus on the customers and, and a great deal of effort in terms of finding out what's happening out there, even beyond the space that, we're tradi that we traditionally operate in. So we just, you know, continuously try to identify and build the capabilities to service them. I'd be curious to ask, because DeFi is obviously something that we look at as potentially kind of reinventing kind of the, the banking score stack. Um, I understand the client question, but how do you look at that from a technical perspective, the, the whole DeFi evolution in the market? Yeah, I think it's, it's very relevant. Um, it's actually, first principles thinking, right? Um, and so if you can, if you have the technology essentially to have that available and the customers want that kind of experience, I think everyone should look at it um, and look into it. So we're not used to having a decentralized, um, decentralized governance. We're not used to having decentralized systems. Um, but you know, at, at some point, um, if we um, essentially look deeper into it, you'd see a lot of benefits. Um, what that benefits us, um, as benefits us and the customers as well. So there are ways at which banks can, particip can participate in the decentralized space, I guess. Um, but that will take time um, because it's, it's more than, you know, a, it, it's more than a private institution um, decision. <laughs> also, it, it, it's a function of politic, political, you know, political regulatory framework. So, yeah, but it, it is a very interesting space. And of course, we have our eyes set on it. <laughs> Well, clearly everybody should be watching this space because I think you're, you're breaking new ground in the banking space globally. So it's, uh, Kathy, it's been super exciting having you on here as our first guest for 2022. Um, thanks for your time today. Do you have anything else you want to like to comment on before we wrap up? Anything else? Yeah, well, like of course, to? we want to thank you, Simas, and then thank you, Matako. Thank Matako as well. So to our, to our guests, I guess, thank you for your time also being here. Um, we are always excited to represent Union Bank of the Philippines and, and our Blockchain Center of Excellence and happy also to share our stories of transformation. I'm hoping that it inspires more uh, collaborations towards finding solutions to that improve our lives, of course, not just in the aspect of banking or financial services, but beyond. And, and I guess also to our audience who are interested to know more about blockchain and, and how this story has mm -hmm. evolved in the Philippines. And my boss, um, Henny um, Agud and former colleague, Arthony Nathan, and I have, have a book. Um, have written a book, um, and and if you want, you know, it's available in Amazon and, and Kindle as well. It's called um, "Opening the Archipelago: The Blockchain Story in the Philippines." So, if you want to know more about the story of Union Bank, it, it's all there. So, yeah, and I wasn't aware of that. I'll so check much. that out myself. Okay. Great, Kathy. Thanks for joining us today, and uh, thanks everybody for joining Metaku Talks again. Join us again in a, in a couple of weeks for our next installment, and until then, have a great time. Thanks for joining.